Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbele, and this is being recorded live on Skype, August 12th, 2023. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. Well, we have two very well-known regular participants of Model Rail Radio. We have Gordy Robinson on one line. Hello, Gordy. And we have Ralph Renzetti on the other line. Pleasure to have you both on. I, I wanted to start with Gordy because obviously... The NMRA, always an interesting topic of discussion, always something worthy. What is going on with it currently? What's what's news from your part of the NMRA? Well, we're just about to have our national convention, which will start in a week's time. And in terms of what's going on in the NMRA, well, we, we recently launched the NMRA Interchange, which is going very well. We're also having a project at the moment looking at how we can uh, improve our retention Mm-hmm. As we, we recruit a lot of people, but we don't keep them for very long. So we're having mm-hmm. a long, hard look at ourselves. And I suppose there's over excited, there's always the exciting things going on, but the, the more mundane things that are going on, the uh, standard gauges, which people have been after for ages, are all now back in stock. Now we've very got good. a new supplier, so you can go get your standard gauges. And um, in the world of, of marketing and promoting the NMRA and the hobby, um, there's a couple of changes or investments I think we're going to be putting forward to the board in a week's time around what the NMRA does online and, and how we expand our appeal. So mm. um, there is always lots going on, as you as you know, but the, the convention is the biggest the biggest ticket item at the moment. So we'll be in Grapevine, Texas for our national convention this year, and that mm. will be followed by the National Train Show. So lots of things happening, including the Fremo N Ops Roadshow, which was something that we started last year in St. Louis and has now grown arms and legs. And we'll have a layout that people can do. It's like, it's like an Ops Roadshow. If you've never done it, the Ops Roadshow is a clinic-style operating session where it's for anybody of any experience. Ideally, no experience. It's absolutely perfect. And It's quite uh, a substantial layout, isn't it, that people are actually operating on? This year, yes, it's the biggest Ops Roadshow layout there's ever been. Wow. Um, it used to be a fixed layout. So it used mm-hmm. to be the same layout with sectional uh, in HO, but now it's in N scale and it's Fremo N. You never quite know what you're going to get. So mm. I think it's it's in a 74 feet by 68 wow. feet area. And it's N scale. So it represents mm-hmm. about 10 scale miles of main line. Is it invitational of people brought in their particular sections to put into it? Or is it a... Yeah. Wonderful. It was op- open to anyone from for the last year. I mean, we ha- we've had to. We well, when did we last take the last? I think we only took the last modules onto onto the ticket about two months ago. So, mm. yeah, and there's modules being built specifically for the event. Like I 3D printed some Fremo N modules that I'll be flying with. So, um, literally the modules are coming from all over the world. <laughs> so, Grapevine, Texas, very nice part of the world. Been there a couple of times very good hub as well for various travel. I'm assuming, when are you heading out there? Uh, I'm flying on Wednesday, so 16, so four days. Mm. Have you been to Texas before? Yes. Wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. I always avoided it in August, I have to say. That's one of the things about Texas, that and the food. The food is pretty overwhelming. In fact, no matter where you go in Texas, the food is absolutely, completely overwhelming. I've, that's what I took away from Texas was uh, – about 15 pounds over a week worth of being there. I finally ended up with Japanese food. That seemed to be the portion size seemed to be remotely in par with what I was looking for, but vast plates, vast quantities of food. It's an amazing state. It really makes me feel like it's a completely different state of the union than the rest of the union, actually. So I always enjoy time in Texas. 
In terms of uh, the numbers coming in, I mean, obviously, it's, you know, Texas has got a pretty good legacy with regards to the model railroading hobby. What kind of um, what kind of layouts are on display? What kind of stuff are you looking forward to seeing when you get there? We're, in terms of coming in, we're expecting to have, I think we're just over 900 people registered in advance and we usually get 100 to 200 walk-ups. So mm-hmm. we're expecting it to be the busiest NMRE convention for quite a few years, <laughs> pre-COVID years as well. Certainly. Um, there'll be a whole room with layouts in for the whole of the convention. Then, uh, as you would expect, there's, there's over 300 operating session slots across all the the best, greatest layouts in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Mm. Um, there's some fantastic tours. I mean, the guys have knocked it out of the park on the tours. We've got a tour to the BNSF uh, Operations Center Ooh. on the Monday morning, Ooh. which is not a place you can normally get into, yeah. that's for sure. And it'll be, uh, it'll be obviously, everything will be live while we're there. Um, they'll be running the railroad. Um, and there's also tours to Saginaw, where there's some really great big grain elevators. Mm-hmm. They'll be uh, they'll be there, and we'll be doing tours there as well. Yeah, it should be good. Wonderful, wonderful. In terms of the home layouts, how are, how are they going, Gordy? Uh, well, there's some some pretty spectacular home layouts in Dallas Fort Worth. You've got quite a number of MMRs. Mm-hmm. You've also got uh, the Texas West Texas Texas Model Railroad Club there that's got a absolutely huge layout. They've been building for thirty odd years. Mm. There's some. There's even some ride on. As you would expect in with the weather in Most Texas, certainly. it's outdoor seven and a half inch gauge Wonderful. Uh, layouts. So yeah, there's there's an absolute spread. There's the Speed Muller's Texas Namib as well. Mm-hmm. So there's some fantastic layouts. And Chris Chris Atkins is uh, Ev- Sheridan Everywhere West mm-hmm. is uh, layout in the section house. So there's some fantastic layouts. Some of them are on tours. Some of them will be self driving tours. There's the LD Sig tour. Uh, and there's also the op sessions, so people get plenty of opportunities to go and see as many layouts as you can get to, really. Wonderful. I guess I was also asking about your specific home layouts, because last time we had you on, you gave some amazing home layout updates. Obviously, you won't be doing anything while you're in Texas, but in terms of your home no. layouts, how are they going? Well, getting a chance to work on my own layouts is a bit difficult, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially when you do the NMRA presidency. I can imagine. And also... You agree to make three more modules and fly them halfway around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but the coal branch, the HO coal branch, is, which is Fremo HO, it's also doubles as a home layout, is set up downstairs. There's seven modules that I'm in the process of adding to that. Wow. They're not at the end, they're, they're in the middle. Mm-hmm. So they're dotted all around. There's, there's one module, then there's some already done, then there's three new ones, then there's some more, then there's three new ones. So it'll be, it'll be going... Uh, it'll be getting done in the winter. The, the problem that I have is I live in Orkney, which is in the far north of Scotland, and it's cold. Mm-hmm. But the house is designed to keep the heat in. So it's about 30 Celsius, about 90, Ooh. 95 degrees in the train room in summer. Tropical. We don't have a, yeah, so there's no work gets done in there in summer. The blinds get put down and it gets left alone till, till at least October. So I'll be back down in there in October, and I, I want to get it. I want to get something running by Christmas, which I've said for the last two Christmases. But hopefully that will be the case, and we can have a, a little op session. But my home layout fits about. Uh, you can probably get uh, probably have about four operators maximum, mm. um, and it's in a it's in a fourteen foot by twenty one foot space. Just to remind people of the space. So certainly. So that's all going on. But I've got loads of other layouts as well that are all sectional and go out to train shows and different things. Uh, and now we're coming out of COVID year. Uh, I should think next year we'll probably get out and do a bit more than we've been able to do. This year's been the first year that 
the, I suppose the restrictions have never come back on and they've been well and truly off. So we've been just churning through the backlog of bookings and, and things that people had, but we'll, we'll see now. Mm. Um, Interesting. We'll see now how next year goes. So, so yeah. let's talk about flying with a layout because this is something I think we had, uh, we, we've discussed this in a recent recording as well. The idea of getting on a plane with a, a sectional layout piece that you fly with, you're flying internationally with a sectional, a couple or just one sectional piece that you're flying with? Three, three sectional pieces. Very good. Three sectional pieces. So, so I've got, yeah. So I've got a, a huge holdall um, that's basically a cover, and then my modules go inside plastic boxes by the really useful box company, and you can get those from Staples anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. They test these boxes by driving tanks over them, so they're pretty robust. Very good. Yeah. So the boxes themselves weigh nine kilos, so about twenty pounds with the mm-hmm. bag, and then the modules go in top. So that gives you thirty pounds of weight for modules. So you can't really make them out out of timber, no, or lumber. So so you were three D printing them? Yeah. So what I've done is I've designed three D print files to create an end, and then to be modular in between. So you can create any length of uh, module that you want. And now. Not necessarily for flying with because of the width, but I've been able to design wide junction modules, 45 degree curves. Mm. I've got straight modules and I've even got a a 90 degree crossing module. And the challenge with that one was that it had to be 13 inches by 13 inches to allow for the other modules to bolt to it on all four sides. Mm -hmm. So that's a bit of a challenge because that means I've got a box that could fit up to a two foot module in it, but it's only got that 13 inch module in. (laughs) So it's interesting. A little bit, a little bit empty, a bit of a wasted space there. But yeah, I've got, I've got three modules. Uh, One is just a 12 by 12 module. One's the 13 by 13. And the other one is a, is a one foot by wide by two foot long module. So Mm. we'll see how we go with the flying, but in, in terms of how I've done it. So a, a plywood end in Fremo N standard, which is 18 mil ply, mm-hmm. the two ends that you would need on a module weigh four pounds. Interesting. And the anything that you put in between then adds more weight. Okay. My 3D printed ends weigh about 800 grams for a pair. Mm-hmm. So about, about a pound and a quarter, maybe a, a pound and a third. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty light compared to, compared to standard. And then... The module, the, the the one by two module weighs 1.3 kilos, which is 2.4 pounds mm-hmm. for the whole module. I don't think anyone's got a module that weighs that less. You could you could do it in foam board, I suppose, but the problem with Fremo is you clamp in it and you'll just crush foam board. Certainly. So what I did is I 3D printed the end and then I notched out in the file um, a 100 mil by 100 mil plate or space for a wooden uh, basically 1.5 mil plywood insert to go in that's then super glued onto the end so that when you clamp the clamping face has something to spread the load and they they work then just like a just exactly in the same way as a as a, as a plywood end plate so they're pretty pretty robust but they don't weigh anything mm. which is great and because i've now got the other modules as well so i've got corners i've got junctions I've actually designed, I've kept iterating on my design and the the end plate design now has leg pockets to fit broom handles because Mm. broom handles are universal worldwide. You can go into any hardware store in the world and buy a broom handle that'll be the same diameter. And if it's a little bit longer than standard, you can always get a saw and saw it off. Mm. Um, But they're always kind of a minimum of about 44, 45 inches. And so I've designed the modules to fit those as legs and then mm. 
inside the, the leg pocket on the next iteration will have uh, a floating piece that allows you to adjust the height. So mm-hmm. you'll be able to go an inch above and an inch below. Mm. You like, so what it means is you're not having to fly around the world with legs because everyone that's listening to this that does Fremo is probably thinking, quite rightly, how on earth do you uh, do the height adjustment? And is that a real with- thing? A broom handles really standard through the entire world? Yeah, so they're about, well, yes, basically a broom handle is usually about an inch and then it's a planed inch thick dowel. So it's an mm. inch wide and it's plain. So it's about 23 to 25 mil. Okay, So if you make your hole 26 mil, it goes in. So, and the good thing about having most things produced in China is that they want standardization. Of course. So, so standardized broom handle, <laughs> broom handle diameter is about, is between 23 and 25 mil. Interesting. So there's some thicker, there's some there's some thinner, but a wooden a wooden one that's standard that you can get anywhere, you can always probably get one that's between twenty three and twenty five mil. So that's how that works. And then the height adjustment for rather than being at the bottom of the leg, which is what's normal, is I decided that I I prefer to have a back that's not painful. Mm-hmm. So I put them at the top. So now they'll be height adjustable at the top, and it, it means basically we fly into somewhere with the modules. And go buy some broom handles, but we'll see how it goes because it's, there's no plan to vice first contact. So we'll see how we get on. I anticipate within about 10 seconds of putting, because it's a very small airport in Orkney, it's got one gate mm-hmm. and you put your bags on and the bags go through a little hole in the wall and then go through the same scanner that's used to scan the check the, the carry-on bags. Mm-hmm. And they have a little room. And if they find something on the scanner that they want to ask you about, they have a baggage reconciliation room and so you have to go into this little room and there's a counter and you have to open your bag and you have to explain what's in it that they don't like so i i'm just going to go straight to the door of that room as soon as i put this bag through the check-in desk yes um but i have little photographs that i'm going to print off late and laminate and stick to the top of the boxes so that customs can see exactly what's in it exactly what it is and i, I hope it'll be okay and underneath what I've done is I've drilled holes in the bases of the boxes and then used reusable cable ties to actually cable tie the modules into the box and then I've pa- put packing peanuts all the way around it. There's no Wonderful. whole buildings or anything, so the, the damage should be limited. And I've got two days when I get to Dallas to go, well, Dallas-Fort Worth, to go to, go to uh, one of the local hobby stores or something and get more ballast and repair it. So Certainly. I think we'll, we'll see. I'll feed back and let you know how successful or not this is. This is really fascinating. The idea of using broom handles, I think, is uh, is just genius. I mean, I'm interested in seeing how this goes. This is somewhat topical. Because recently, and I was hoping to get Marty McGurk on today, unfortunately, probably not. But uh, his friend Paul Dorcas was selling his second layout, actually. He sold the layout previously about uh, 18 years ago. And I'm kind of in the market for a layout. I'm kind of looking for a layout just in terms of refurbishment and reuse, so to speak. And actually moving these layouts is where it gets very interesting. And if you're, if you're making much layouts to start off with, you've, you know, nine-tenths of the way there, basically, because if you can fly with it, it's obviously going to be able to be transported relatively well. Um, in terms of structures and kits and things that you're taking with you, if you've got them all, you know, in a similar kind of environment that you could travel with them easily? I could do if I wanted to, but I'm not actually taking anything with me this time. So, Interesting. Yeah, and the, the modules that I've done have all got structures on that are no, not very high. Very <laughs> One cool. story. So, very cool. Uh, yeah, so we're okay. But you could, if it, effectively, the, the way that I 
the way, I'll tell you the way that I do my buildings on removable modules is I use magnets, which mm. you can also conduct lighting. Mm-hmm. And I put the magnets into the into the baseboard, and then I just use magnets to hold the building in place, put the building in a separate box. And then use, usually I power the, the lights in the building through the magnets. Mm-hmm. It's straightforward. And it means you know you've got the building the right way around because otherwise the lights don't come on. So that's usually that's my usual way of, of uh, fitting buildings to modules because they they won't survive. There's no way of, of you know what baggage handling is like. Oh my goodness! Um, there's just no way they will survive. So so yeah, we've got all that. I've got a method for that, but on these particular modules, I haven't done that. I tried to just keep the weight down as much as possible, uh, mm. just to see how light I could get them and, and still say they've got scenery and they're passable to be on display. So yeah, pretty cool. No, the idea of broom handles, I just think, is genius. Uh, did you get that from somewhere, or is that, is that a Cordy Robinson unique invention? I didn't get it from anywhere. I don't know if it's a unique invention to me, but I didn't get it from anywhere. No, I was looking for dowels that I could use, or, or legs that I could use, and I'd seen somebody use wooden dowels, hmm. but there's no way I could get them in the UK. Um, they just weren't available in the lengths that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I noticed on Amazon that they sold broom handles for a pound so i bought 30 of them <laughs> Very good. and then i went and went and did some research to see i thought this is an interesting idea do amazon sell these broom handles on amazon usa so i went on amazon.com and they sold exactly the same broom handle for a couple of dollars went on canadian amazon and they did the same so i was like hang on a minute let's have a look at this and that's where i found out that broom handles are pretty well universal mm. <laughs> so uh, so now we've got a universal way of putting legs under your female modules. I'm I'm not sure yet whether these are coming home or staying. Uh, they may well stay in Dallas because next year in July, just before the National NMRA Convention, the Fremo N community is coming together in Evanston, Wyoming to have a huge setup uh, of Fremo N in the old locomotive workshops up there. So I may well be bringing even more modules with me then. And I believe that the plan is that uh, the 90 degree crossing module is going to form the center of that layout so i may well leave it here and, and build some more modules and bring them out very cool no this is a this is a new aspect of the hobby really i think you're taking modules kind of extreme modules will travel and no this is that sounds absolutely fascinating Cody. i'm assuming you're going to take copious quantities of photographs and just generally document the whole process so i'm looking forward to seeing I, that i absolutely will and i'll be tra- i'll be out traveling again in october so in october i'm coming out to the Northeast Region Convention in New York. Mm. Then I'm going to the Sunshine Region Convention in Florida uh, via staying with Seth in uh, in uh, Charlotte on the way down. And Wonderful. then I am uh, up in, and oh, I'm also visiting the NMRA division in Chattanooga and Atlanta. And then I am up in Cincinnati and I'll be at the MER Convention in uh, Altoona, Pennsylvania. And then I'm doing a bit of work in the US and I'll end up in Las Vegas uh, the first week in November. So Well, we're definitely meeting for sushi. There's no there's no excuse there. We're definitely getting here. I live quite a, a distance from the strip, but I'm sure we'll be able to coordinate something. I definitely. I, it's, we'll sort something. It's not the strip that I'm going to. It's something, the Red Rock Resort or something. That's, down ex- in that that's way, literally, so. literally walking distance from my place. So There you go. That's where I'm going. It was meant to 10 be. minutes. <laughs> it was most definitely meant to be in the sushi places. It's close by that as well. We're really looking forward to having you in Vegas. That would be wonderful, Gordy. I'll, I, I need to get some broom handles together and some sticks and see if I can build a with layout, will travel uh, kind of thing. This sounds absolutely fascinating. Will you be bringing 
the layout to Vegas. I won't, but uh, but we can we can sort something out. I might bring you something. Uh, I don't. I won't be bringing the layout because I'm I'm actually traveling for five weeks. So uh, that's a work related trips are never out. yeah never positive in that but way. I, but but I can I can we can we can work something out. I can always the files are available if people want to look at it on on Thingiverse. If you look for Gordy MMR, you'll mm. find my files and and you can download your, the files yourself. If you all you need is a a very small filament printer. It doesn't require a huge printer to get going. And uh, I think the ah, no section. I'm, I'm no stranger to shapeways. I could I could order it in brass. So don't worry. <laughs> don't order it in brass. But that's one thingy verse. But I haven't put them on shapeways. But I can do if you want. But I'll bring. I, if if I can, I'll bring you. I'll tell you what. If I can, I'll bring you out a kit. That's an easy Ooh, thing to do. If it's disassembled wonderful. and you can glue it together. That sounds perfect. Right, Absolutely go. perfect. No, November is a, a way away, but I'm certainly looking forward to it. Thank you very much for uh, for swinging my. So you're at the Red Rock just naturally. That's amazing. That's basically my neighbourhood. Just, just this, that's how these things happen. I'm at a conference. Yeah, that's just the way it goes. I suppose. Very good. You know, international man of mystery and travel. Well, <laughs> so. I'm turning up at exactly the right place, exactly the right time. I heard Lionel Strang once stayed at the Red Rock. He didn't look me up, but uh, these things happen. And yeah, November, <laughs> wonderful. I'll let you know. I'll let you know what the details. I will sort it out offline. That's fine. Terrific, terrific. Well, all the best with regards to the uh, national. I know they're huge, huge. You know, just the logistics associated with this is awe inspiring. We have the folks who do the Australian Narrow Gauge Convention on a, a annual basis. They only do one person every convention because it burns them out. So amazing, amazing resolve just to get this thing together. In terms of um, in terms of debriefing, in terms of things like that, are you going to run again for NMRA president? Is this going to be a, a second, third, fourth kind of thing, or are you feeling that you've done your time's worth? Well, I can say that I'm on the ballot for next year. Okay, so very good. I'll be back on the ballot for next year. That'll be that would be my second term, not third, fourth, and fifth. Very good. <laughs> um, that would be my second term. But I think if anyone, you know, I would encourage anyone who wants to step up and and volunteer with the NMRA to do so. Just warn people that the higher up you go, the more hours you need to put in. And this is definitely a 30-hour-a-week job, no question. So um, it's, a, it's a big commitment with a young family and a, and a full-time job. But it, um, I really enjoy it. It's, it's great to give back. So goody. I'll keep doing it as long as people want me to. Pleasure having you on, as always. Really looking forward to seeing uh, this Layout Whittle Travel. This is just an amazing project and yeah broom handles being universal i guess when things were being standardized that is just a golden standard somewhere through there so thank you very much for calling in today pleasure chatting as always thanks tom i'd like to welcome back a long time model rail radio participant jeff shockley jeff what is going on in your part of the world how's the model railroading hobby treating you uh, well, we're doing pretty good. The Del Marva Club's getting ready for uh, our open house starting in November, mm-hmm. November, December, and January. First state's going to do uh, an open house in, in November. We have a new location for them. We're, we're now in De Willow Grove, Delaware. Mm. But uh, yeah, we, we took a 10-year 10, 10 lease on a building. We paid $1 a year. So it's, Wonderful. It's, so it's the best $10 we've ever invested. Personally, uh, I just got over a bout of cancer. Mm. I had to, had to have my right kidney removed because of cancer, so... Ooh, congratulations uh, for coming out. Everything's of that. going with, well with that. Congratulations. Uh, doc, late, late August, I got. Uh, I went in for my checkup, for my post-surgical checkup, and everything is fine. There's no no spreading. The doctor doesn't see any any problem with uh, 
having to having to do chemo or radiation and no uh, idea of, of uh, well, and uh, no chance right now of, of having to do dialysis because losing the kidney. But mm. so everything's going well. Pretty good. Very good. So, in terms of Delmarva, in terms of this, how long have have they been at the new location? Well, the first day has been in their new location just over. Well, it'll be two years in January. Mm. And is that a new layout, or did you move it from the old location to the new location? We had two portable layouts. That we just moved to locations. Interesting. Interesting. And in terms of the scales, still a broad range of scales represented. Well, this, this is first state. This isn't Delmarva. This is first state. Oh, we're, sorry. We're, yeah, we're 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 solely HO there. Delmar, we are we go from Z to G. So very good, very good indeed. Well, I'm always always glad to get the uh, newsletter that you send to me on a monthly basis. So thank you very much for keeping up with that. Did you get the August one? Uh, I thought I did, but um, it came back saying your your mailbox. Ah, uh, I don't exist anymore because they can't get. I don't know what's gone on with my email, but it's just designed to annoy banks and unfortunately get <laughs> the Delmarva Model Railroad Club as well. Um, okay. But yeah, I, I do get email and I don't really right. understand just boredom. <laughs> yeah. Down in Delmar, we're uh, finishing up our operating sessions. We had one today. We have one next month and then we're stopped until March because of open house. Mm. How many people do you get at an open house typically? Between 10 and 15. Okay. So it's it's... A cozy number of people, then, yes. basically. Very nice. Uh, they're, they're normally able to uh, complete the 12-hour schedule. Hmm. And we most of the time, we get through the entire 12 hours in one five-hour session. Interesting. Wonderful. So the regulars come through and the occasional new folk? Is that the way it works? Yeah, yeah. They have a lot of, of regulars. And uh, every now and then, you know, somebody will bring somebody in to, to start it out, and then they'll start as a regular. <laughs> Wonderful. And it's a big recruitment drive, is that right, or is it just funding? Oh, no. Most of the new people that come in for our op sessions, within three months, they're a member of the club. Wonderful. Wonderful. So we're up to about 57 members right now. Mm, that's a reasonable number. And in terms of the skill set and things like that, do people pick up skills when they join? Oh, Yeah. We have a lot of people that serve as mentors. So if you don't know what you're doing, somebody in the club will be glad to teach you. Wonderful. And in terms of the young folk, do you still get a good quantity of young folk through? Yes and no. Since COVID hit us, that's been kind of a sore spot with us. We haven't been able to get any new, new young members. Hmm. But then just recently, we picked up three more because their parents joined and they're coming in as, as family members. So Wonderful. That's a good way <laughs> it of getting people. comes in people. cycles. Very good. Very good. Yeah, it's interesting, the nature of these clubs and how they – I was looking at uh, – I haven't been a member of Silicon Valley Lines for a few years now because I moved out of the area. But uh, they – when they do open houses, they always pick up a bunch of new people that just come through and see it. I mean, I think these kind of operating louts, particularly the ones that have been established for a good length of time, immediate draw card, obviously. For someone who might become a model railroader, this is really the way to get into the hobby. So fascinating stuff. Yeah, uh, it's amazing how many people will come through an open house and they'll ask for an application. Uh, we might give out 30 applications and we might get three members. So it's you know, t- 10%. That's that's not too bad. Certainly, certainly. And in terms of actually the, the structure of the open house, is it do you just basically do operations or do you get people to pick up uh, controllers or what, what kind of experience well, would someone come when they come into these things? When we do open house, it's, it's basically just making laps. We just we just go roundy round. We tried an operating session once, and it was just too much of a hassle with all the crowd. Interesting. So we, we, we just run laps, 
But if you come in and you, if you let someone know that you, you have experience with DCC or with Digitrax, you know, we'll give you a controller and, and let you walk around with a member. It is a different experience, I think. It's something that um, certainly Silicon Valley Alliance was, uh, you know, very smart about to actually give people controllers when they came in and this kind of stuff. I think it gives a different interaction with the layouts and certainly for people that are kind of on the fence of becoming model railroaders, it's an easy pushover into the, uh, into the hobby, so to speak. Yeah, and uh, if somebody comes in with their own controller, but if they have a DC or a, a Digitrax controller, we'll give them a train. <laughs> Wonderful. We're not we're, we're not shy. Very good, very good indeed. So, in terms of other aspects of the hobby, any new or interesting things coming through? Or, well, firstly, congratulations on the the cancer fight. My mother-in-law has also recently beat cancer. Uh, we're going on a walk and a series of other things to um, help with her fundraising associated with that. So, congratulations on that. Anything new in the hobby that's catching your eye currently? Well, the local line here through through the peninsula hmm. is uh, called the Delmarva Central. It's, it's leased from Norfolk Southern to Carload Express out of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and but it, 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 the DCR is the main line, and uh, their paint scheme is really intriguing. It, it's it's burgundy and black, but it's really pretty. And I've decided that I'm going to take a, a passenger train I've got, and I'm painting it. To match theirs and passenger cars will be the cities that they serve. Wonderful. It's a train that doesn't exist. So first time ever trying to paint anything. So I'm interested in how it turns out. Mm. <laughs> are you going to airbrush it or are you going to paint it with, um, you know, well, brushwork or whatever? We, down at the club, we have an airbrush. So Wonderful. I'm, I'm going to airbrush it. Very cool. And in terms of the number of towns that are represented, what is it like, you know, five to ten towns that you're going to represent on the uh, um, rolling stock? Well, back in the day when, when it was PRR, at 75 towns. 75 towns? And, uh, wow. Right now, I think, uh, yeah, we had 75 towns from northern Delaware all the way down to the Cape Charles, Virginia. So it was, it was quite busy railroad back in the day. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, we might have maybe 10. Interesting. So is this, this is now, you're going to model the contemporary train with these t- 10 towns? Is that the plan? I'm thinking about maybe doing 25. 25. That's a, a nice number. And individual lettering, or how are you yeah. going to do the lettering? Wow. Good, good uh, job ahead of you. Decals. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that sounds yeah, fascinating, yeah, I, Jeff. I, I have a program that I can create my own decals, so I'm mm. going to try that. That was also something new, new for me. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, gosh, that sounds like an amazing project. Please take photos. Please put them on the Model Rail Radio Facebook group. Always good to I, see your work. I will do that. Oh, speaking about my newsletter, I just want to say say thanks to you because of all the listeners that subscribe to my newsletter. We are in every continent except Antarctica. Alas, those penguins just aren't <laughs> cutting it. Very good. Well, pleasure that uh, it's getting out there, Jeff. It, it is a great newsletter. I look forward to getting one every month. I'm pretty sure I got the last one, even though I might have said it. I didn't arrive. But thank you very much okay. for calling in today. Always a pleasure getting an update. Congratulations once again on your cancer fight. That's really good news. Thank you, and uh, you're, you're welcome for calling in. I, I, I enjoy it. Always a pleasure, Jeff. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. I'd like to welcome back on reference, Eddie. Ralph, I'm not sure if I've narrated it in this particular podcast. In fact, there are a couple of bits of news that I wanted to talk about with you uh, today specifically. Through a series of very strange things, gone back into a hobby which I only dabbled in very briefly, maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago. And that's with regards to radio-controlled cars, which obviously is owned by Tamiya, which obviously owns a wide variety of the, the paints and sprays and modelling and just an amazing 
history, a legacy that I'd forgotten I knew so much about. I have catalogues from the early 90s and late 80s that are contemporary catalogues that I remember as a boy having, um, which I actually went out and bought after the fact um, more recently just to have them as something that I can point to and remember these things. In terms of Tamiya's impact on your part of the hobby, in terms of the painting and this kind of stuff, probably, you know, this is, again, a historical legacy, but do you have any Tamiya in your, is it part of your general rotation of paints? Absolutely. Tamiya is my, one of my favorite companies, Mm. mainly for paint. I I also did the remote control thing with them, (laughs) and that's that's a rabbit hole I had had to get out of because it it was consuming me. But anyway, I went from uh, electric motor to gas motor and couldn't keep up. So I, this is it. Got to get out. That's when I started my railroad again. And their paints, they have a broad range of paints. Mm. As far as the acrylic paints mm-hmm. in jars, they don't have a wide variety of colors. It's, mm. it's geared mostly to the military guys, Certainly. but they do have the primary colors. And if you've got any talent whatsoever, you can mix your own colors. With that question. And it's I mean, it, 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 you don't even have to have the talent. Just experiment. <laughs> this, this is one of the things I keep telling all my, when I do clinics and so on, experiment. Don't be afraid to try something. Mm. So I'm, I'm playing with the Tamiya paints all the time. And now I've got it down to the point where I can make an airbrush spray or fade for a paint that has 10% paint in it mm. and 90% IPA or mm-hmm. isopropyl alcohol. Certainly. And that's basically how I fade my weathering and so on that I do on on the railroad, the the locomotives and the rolling stock. Mm. And the thing is, now I've gotten to the point where when I first started weathering, you may have heard this before, but I thought to myself, I had just gotten a brand new Broadway Limited Mikado. Mm -hmm. No friggin' way am I going to get this thing dirty and Mm. ruin it. Well, I've gotten to the point now where... Uh, I look at it and I say, well, where am I going to start? Let's I'm in. Do it. Come I'm on. in. <laughs> I'm in. Yep. Yep, certainly. So I go looking for prototype photographs. That's always my, my go-to. Mm. Prototype photograph. Even if it's not the railroad that I'm working on, rust and weathering. Dirt is dirt. Yes. It's, it, that's exactly <laughs> right. It doesn't matter what paint scheme it's on, but certainly. you can put it over whatever paint scheme you want. And I've done that in, in a number of cases where I've taken uh, three or four prototype photographs and combined them mm. to do a road that wasn't even in the prototype photographs, which were, it works out great. As long as you have something to refer to, you won't overdo it. Certainly. Because if you try to do it from your mind's eye, you end up way overdoing it. So it's better to use a, a prototype photo as a guide, mm. which is what I do all the time now. Mm. Even non-railroad subjects like a, a, a bulldozer, mm-hmm. I'll go looking for, for the, the model of that bulldozer and see how it dirties and see how it uh, the blade wears with you know the scooping of the dirt. Certainly. Because at some point, that blade's going to be a nice, clean, and shiny uh, steel color, but a little bit at a time, and uh, you learn. If you don't step out of the box that you're in and try something new, you'll never move on. You'll never learn fully. Mm. So that's what I'm doing. And now I'm working on a project that's not even railroad related. You probably remember me posting some like air air motorcycles, that sort of thing, futuristic stuff. Certainly. 
it's it all has to do with modeling and a hobby and it keeps your mind fresh and this is how Certainly. i go from once you get burnout in one category so you got to go somewhere else you got to leave mm. alone for a while and do something else like you're doing your rc you were doing warhammer at one point and oh my goodness you, <laughs> You know, all that kind of stuff. Well, it's interesting, actually, because I think a lot of these things use a similar kind of energy. And, you know, there are a number of people who are part of this hobby that are also amazing military modelers. And a number of people that are part of this hobby that also are amazing figure painters. And just, you know, the the breadth of skill set and the kind of polymaths that get involved with model railroading it's no joke. There are a lot of really interesting people that have a number of really fascinating hobbies that we could jam about for a while. I did want to throw out, we have a layout design contest currently with Mind Mount Models, and I wanted to mm-hmm. find some point of the show that I could actually talk about it because they're always fun to do. I think two $50 gift certificates for people that are interested in doing this. It is a 10 by 12 room, a 10 by 12 foot room uh, for those who might be metrically inclined. And um, a doorway, a few windows, you could do whatever you like with it. Now, where it gets really interesting, three scales, HO, S scale, or O scale. Now, because it requires two... S as in Stephen? S as in Stephen, yes. One of your favourite scales, I know. And my map models only has one kit currently in O scale. I'd like that to change. I'd love to see more O scale kits from my map models. And in fact, the O scale kit market is a rather curious... It's rather curious area. There are few manufacturers that make O-scale kits, but I think certainly a lot of the stuff that uh, Ron is putting out lends itself very heavily to O-scale. So you need to actually scale up. You take the HO and, and double it dimensionally, uh, and you have what the O-scale kit would look like on the layout. I think this is interesting feedback for Ron as well, uh, because he'll actually get to see what kits people want to see in O-scale. Anyway. You have those three scale options. The size is fixed. You could do a round-the-room layout, or you could do a central layout in the room size, or you could do a bunch of different things. Really, this you know these rules associated with layout design contests are always pretty flexible. We just like getting interesting layouts that have been thought about, some degree of history, narrative, some discussion associated with the layouts, and just the track plans. This is what it's all about. So for folks listening in who are interested in participating... Well, you've just heard my email address, <laughs> not as always as useful, but Barbalay, which is my surname at gmail.com, will get through to me pretty well at any time, hopefully. Um, so please send your uh, PDF drawings or whatever you want with regards to the uh, layout before Halloween. The evening of Halloween is the cutoff uh, this year. Uh, and then Ron and I will do the much laborious task of actually going through the kits. I didn't want to right. put out that, um, that this... This contest has been historically won by <laughs> the same gentleman, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately, but the competition is relatively tight. So please have a think about it. If you want to enter multiple times, enter multiple times. Come to it with your A game. Think about this in terms of uh, there's been a long history of layout design contests with Model Rail Radio, and the standards are pretty high, folks. So not to dissuade any of you from entering, but please consider entering and yeah, just some amazing lights with some amazing histories that people have just generated on the fly. And um, another topic that I wanted to discuss, uh, which I mentioned last week. Before recording. you leave, Tom. Certainly. The rooms, the room size again is 10 by 12? 10 by 12. Okay. So not a huge room, but a room of much potential. That's the way I like to think of it. Yep. 
and certainly a lot that could be done in that room. It's about, it's not actually the size of my current podcasting room. My current podcasting room is a little bit bigger than that. It would actually fit quite nicely on the interiors of that. But yeah, I, I second topic that I wanted to raise with you on, Ralph, is per last recording, I narrated a little bit that I'm looking for a new layout or look in the market for a layout, let us just say, um, looking at existing layouts. The one came available in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area through the week. And I have a friend in Pittsburgh who's actually a long-time listener to Model Rail Radio, Connor Sites Bowen. Uh, so shout-outs to Connor. He and I have been in some correspondence. If this layout was to turn up at his place mysteriously, how would it be packed up, these kind of things? So it's interesting, actually, when you're in the market for a layout and will travel, what kind of options are available. I'm also considering there are people that build layouts locally as well, and that is something that I probably should seriously consider too, specifically because you don't have to pay for damage in transit, which always is something that one needs to account for when one considers moving a layout, certainly nationally at least. Um, Have you had much experience with regards to the wheelings and dealings of buying and selling layouts? I wouldn't even know where to look or to start. <laughs> I saw one in, in Mo- I think it was Model Railroad or Magazine, mm. where they advertised uh, this layout for sale. And you read down the, the blurb a little further, and it says it comes with the house. Yes. <laughs> it was an interesting way to, to, to advertise it. It wasn't just to a sell a house. You're, you're buying the house. Yes. That's sometimes the case. But I think certainly um, Paul Dolkus, for example, is the gentleman who's onto his selling his second layout um, that I corresponded with Marty McGurk about and others actually, Bernie Kapinski, a bunch of folk. Nice to get back in contact with all these gentlemen. But it is interesting, this this culture of selling louts, well, building louts for sale, I think, fundamentally. Uh, although Paul Dulcus is obviously operating on these louts, he, he uses them as long as he can and then he sells them. I think he's in the process of moving as well, so it's part of a move. Um, that he's getting rid of the lout. The lout doesn't come built into the house in this case. But it is an interesting culture, and it's something that's probably, although, truth be told, our friends in Kent have recently sold the lout in the past year. So, you know, it's not just an American phenomenon. It does happen. And actually, Ros Flint of of South Australian fame as well also has, I think, three separate layouts on her particular bunker. (laughs) Which is quite an interesting. It's an interesting set of layouts, actually. I need to take. I'm wondering if this video. I'm wondering if Jim Gifford has actually ever taken video. He'll he'll load very quickly. I'll get an email back from him. He may even post on Model Rail Radio when he gets it. Amazing. One of the layouts is a very much a quintessentially Australian layout. One of the layouts is a Japanese layout, and one of the layouts is a kind of Southwest desert scene layout. All well, when together. he was here, what was it? Five, five, six years ago, he was here. Yeah, in in the U.S. and Canada. Yeah, and he was doing an American style layout at that point. That I, was I don't Jim know Gifford. Roz, Roz has very much an American style layout. For actually, it's interesting because it's kind of three of the four corners, so to speak. If you imagine this, this room is literally okay. a bunker. You literally go down a stairs, <laughs> a set of um, welded together stairs. Um, and you're in the you're in the basement, literally nuclear kind of you know nuclear bunker um, to escape from impending doom. And um, three of the four walls are this southwest desert layout, beautiful you know evocative Arizona like you know in areas, just very evocative. And then one of the walls is a, 
a pretty well, I think it's a South Australian lout. It looks pretty South Australian to me. And then you've got this Japanese lout that kind of juts into the room. So really a, a very interesting mixture of metaphors. When I first met Roz, probably well more than a decade ago now, it was a layout that hadn't quite connected. So the three louts were kind of perched together, and I think the Japanese lout at the time was being used as storage primarily. Roz has a huge quantity of brass locomotives, just like she's the first person I've met who's been seriously like understanding what brass collecting is about. I'm not sure how many folks you know that are brass collect are you are you a brass aficionado, Ralph? No, I have I have four pieces and mm. two of them are still in their brass color. <laughs> and I'm debating whether I should convert them to DCC or not, but mm. they to me my favorite locomotive was the Canadian National 6400 uh, U4A locomotive steam. Mm-hmm. And that one's still brass. At the time that I got it, I thought, I'm never going to paint this. I'm toying with the idea now. But then in the old CN colors, it's really specific and very fine gold lines on it. So mm-hmm. I have to collect all the material on how I'm going to do it before I even think about it. Interesting. Anyway, Rods is a brass collector. Vast quantities. I, I... You talked about moving and moving layouts and so on. Mm. Back in uh, September of last year, my wife got the bug. I remember us talking about and it, it. Yes. Yeah, it disrupted me to no end. And when the real estate agent came to look at the house, she came down. She spent more time looking at my layout than she did the rest of the house. And she asked me if the person coming in wants to buy it. Will you sell it? I, yeah, absolutely. And, and it would save me taking it down, which is basically the headache. Mm. That's where, that's where the problem is taking it apart. Now I built it in two by four sections and added the two by f- like modules of two by four Certainly. or variations of two by four to build my layout. And I'm in a 10 by 20 room. So <laughs> I, I did not want to move. And I told her that, but that, that it will like went right over her head, right? Mm. We're moving. And I finally, our financial guy told her, no, not going to, not a good idea. So here I am still unpacking boxes from them. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm a proponent of happy wife, happy life, but sometimes it's always good to have a, a third party come in and give some advice in certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. Very good. Anyway, so yes, the idea of taking, um, the shelf layout, well, the equivalent of a shelf layout space, this one in Pittsburgh, I think, was 14 feet by 2 feet. So just effectively a shelf layout. And, um, you know, there are plenty on offer, and occasionally they come on eBay, and occasionally they're through private sales, like Paul Dolkers' layout. But it is an interesting uh, space to consider. Certainly the local builders. Well, what was the fellow's name who did Monster Model Works? Uh, Jimmy Simmons. Jimmy Simmons. Jimmy Simmons used to live in Vegas, and his father lived in Vegas. His father had an amazing layout, which unfortunately I never had the opportunity of seeing in Vegas. I bumped into Jimmy. Well, actually, I used to bump into Jimmy more at shows than I would in Vegas. But uh, Jimmy had a uh, what was it? It was some kind of plastic fabricating shop, and I went in there on one occasion just to shake the gentleman's hand before I'd actually met him at a show. But uh, so there are model railroaders in the Vegas area. And there is a bit of a culture of people that, uh, you know, will build layouts in the area. So I just need to obviously get the Paul Dolkers like connections from Vegas. Not sure if we have any listeners in the area, but if, if you are in the area, please consider uh, a sushi meal. I will 
buy you a sushi meal and uh, you can give me your brain dump of related luminaries and people I should probably meet in the Las Vegas area. But anyway, so many different possibilities, many different potentials. But Ralph, it's always a pleasure to have you call in. In terms of the Mudfather, in terms of your alter ego, in terms of the podcasts, what are, what are the ones you're calling into currently? What are the ones you're doing stuff on? Uh, the models I'm working on? No, just what, I mean, you always come on, you're always parts of new podcasts. I discovered your alter ego, oh. I think on YouTube, on a podcast that I'd never heard of. Um, and it was kind of three or four of your podcasts ago that you actively participated. So what, what are the, what are the ones you're working on currently? Second section is one. Mm-hmm. Second section is two of the original cast of the AML. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Yeah. I've talked yeah. with Mr. Ostertag. Historically, I was I was on a I was on a podcast with him. He's quite a character, um, um, and I appeared probably I don't know maybe three maybe five years ago. Um, I was on a podcast with him, but obviously very pleasant gentleman. Obviously doing amazing work currently with this podcast, which has been going for a couple of years now, I believe. Yeah, and the other one that I was involved with was um, uh, Model Railroading Live, which has since we've closed the doors. We did that last month. Mm. Oh, okay. um, and that was uh, the chief guy on that one was Bill Graham. He mm-hmm. lives in New York. Uh, he was a transit operator, and uh, we had a great thing going. I, I had a regular show on there, the video show that I would share my weathering with. Lately, it's been with the AML Patreon group, which mm. gets together on gets together on Wednesday nights. Hmm. And one of the guys on there, you know, Chris Adams. Mm-hmm. Of course. Chris and I have, have sort of hooked up where I'm connected with him using Messenger mm-hmm. video. Mm-hmm. And it's like I'm looking over his shoulder and, and telling him how to weather. And it's working out well. Mm, very good. So He's yeah. got a relatively sweet layout, too. I mean, obviously, he lots does. of weathering opportunities on that layout. He, the problem that I find with a lot of guys and there's a lot of guys will say, well, I'm a prototype modeler. Okay. You are a prototype style modeler. You're not a prototype modeler because as soon as you alter to fit your layout, it's no longer prototype. Mm. Right. At least this is my, my idea. This is what mm-hmm. the way I see it. If you make alterations to anything, uh, what do they call it? When you, uh, selective compression, mm-hmm. Because it's too big to fit on your layout, you make it smaller. It looks the same, but you make it smaller. It's not prototype anymore. Hmm. It's it's influenced by prototype. It's always an homage, right? It's always an homage. You're never yeah. going to get perfection. So basically, it's freelance, and hmm. and and the prototypers don't like freelance term. Hmm. So they they come up with proto lands. Mm-hmm. Some of them. Some of them still say freelance uh, uh, prototype. That's. I'm not saying one way or the other you have to do it. It's it's your own interpretation of the rules, if there are rules. Mm. Interesting. Crazy. Interesting times. Well, Ralph, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I'm, I'm glad that uh, things with your neighbor were sorted out and we were able to get you back on. I was really looking forward to having the chance to chat today. And uh, when you dropped off, it was like, darn, lost Ralph again. <laughs> so, yeah, I said that too. Well, Thank you very much for calling in today. A pleasure as always. And, um, yeah, always fascinated by the podcasts you end up on. So I, I remember us talking maybe last time you were on. I have no – my view is all all boats rise, all podcasts rise. Um, always willing to promote other podcasts and mention other podcasts on this recording. And 
you know, I, I appear on AML, I think, on an almost annual basis. You know, have a wonderful chat, occasionally, you know, catch up with people who I haven't spoken to for a few years and these kind of things. So, no, just a, a pleasure knowing that there are other podcasts out there, particularly, you know, as a father of two who can only record these things on an occasional Saturday when I'm allowed to through very specific times while my daughters are having naps. I'm really very glad that there are model railroad podcasts out there just to fill in the gaps of when I can't record. So, yeah, always a pleasure knowing about new podcasts that you're appearing on. And thank you for continuing to do this outreach work, you know, getting out on new podcasts and finding new podcasts. And I'm always interested. Alrighty, Tom, you take care. And uh, the offer still stands. So if, if there's any weathering you need done. Oh, yes. I was going to. I've, I've got a bunch of stuff here, which uh, is in that I just need to get one of these boxes together. And uh, I don't know what I could send you in. Well, we'll work out some payment strategy as well. well um, you're, you're in you're in some you're doing some uh, combinations of scales, too. The thing is, I've ended up somehow an O scaler. Somehow. But I have a bunch of HO, which I think is probably going to be more likely in the foreseeable future. It really just depends on, I don't foresee us moving in the near future, but it really doesn't lend itself, unless I get my daughters into model railroading, which I think is probably the, the obvious way out of this situation, in which case whatever <laughs> scale they pick will be the scale that I end up with. But uh, no, it's interesting. I have a series of vignettes in my podcasting room associated with the various hobbies that I've been involved with. And look, I have a professor silencer. I mean, I've got a bunch of stuff which is unique model railroading stuff that model rail radio has been an active contributor to the creation of. That is one of the things that really blows my mind. And I have a bunch of graffiti coaches and stuff like that where people have pasted my face on the side and various other things, which came around show 100. I got a, a good group of donations of graffiti rail cars and this kind of stuff so i don't know i think definitely i need at least a couple of reference eddies on my uh on my display board but you you're you're in with good company there's a lot of good company <laughs> that i have in terms of just general stuff that i've collected but my O scale stuff i keep mainly in my i mainly keep with my world war ii related stuff as well actually they, they go well together they both have similar smells to them so my O-scale is pretty well ferried away in the area that I keep my World War II-related uh, detritus to. Yeah, I need to start pulling that out. I, I might have told you the story about how I bought or a portion of a fellow's Canadian National Collection in O-scale and have that. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, no, it was... I mean, I if I model in O-scale, it's going to have to be a Canadian National. And it's interesting, actually, you're mentioning the, the gold... Livery, because this is something that I think is on the locomotive that I have. Is it brown and gold? Is that the, the colors? No, it's uh, it's like Pullman green. Oh, it's green and black gold. Okay. with gold stripes. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I need to I need to get my eyeballs on my locomotive skin. But yeah, just a bunch of really nice old DCC stuff. I'm weathered, unfortunately. Otherwise, I'd get it to you. But uh, no, the gentleman who I purchased it from was uh, quite a character. And I was really quite glad to pick up some of his locomotives and rolling stuff. Anyway, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Ralph, pleasure chatting as always. Please feel free to call back in and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Okay. Bye now. So another model rail radio. Quality of participants, not quantity in these recordings. 
Pleasure catching up. I have received a, a series of quite vocal complaints, Jim Gifford being one of them, that uh, these nap recording times that I'm doing doesn't really work out for Australian and South Australian participants, doesn't really work out for British participants, doesn't really work out for North American participants. Probably what I need to start doing is negotiating with my wife to maybe record these podcasts either in the evening or first thing in the morning. I'm recording The Origins of Model Rail Radio is a podcast called The Biota Podcast or The Biota Cast. I'm recording that again with a gentleman called Imi Khan and I'm returning to, we're talking about my old hobbies here, I'm returning to my simulation work. I've got a bunch of work that I'm doing with that in the time that I have off. It fits in very neatly in the period of time between, I don't know, 7.30 and 8 p.m. <laughs> so I'm returning to my Biotecast, which is really the origin of Bottle Rail Radio as well. The idea of having a call-in format for people the world over to call in, well, that's what I used to do with Biota. Uh, I used to have people that wrote simulations that would call in internationally and chat with me and various other simulation authors and creators. So that's back on uh, mysteriously through this period of time where I'm, I, I guess, just returning to the stuff that I enjoy, which is really a pleasure. Speaking of such, my Mount Models layout design contest. Uh, unfortunately, I think Ron is at a, a show today, so I can't be on the call. Uh, but really looking forward to seeing the entries for that. I notice uh, a certain gentleman who's won some previous versions of this contest has been promoting it through Facebook. So thank you very much for that. And uh, pleasure chatting with everyone as always. Thank you for the folks for listening in and thanks to the folks that called in. Good afternoon. <laughs>